Hello, everyone. It's time once again for Hero Blend, the weekly podcast where we talk everything superheroes. I'm Adrienne Jones here, as usual, with our friend, the elegant and educated and very tired (laughs) Eisenberg. How are you doing, Eric? I am doing great. Uh, It's uh, for reasons that I definitely won't get into for precious podcast time. Uh, I am a bit (laughs) exhausted this week. I've been uh, doing a bit of traveling. Actually, I missed last week's episode because I was on vacation. uh, That is true. But uh, yeah, I'm ready for talking some uh, Spider-Man on this week's podcast, plus uh, some various other cool stuff going on. So yeah, let's dig in. Okay, we're going to be getting into Ant-Man and the Wasp early reactions, uh, what we know so far about Spider-Man Far From Home, and some Sony Spider-Verse revelations that I have some (laughs) strong opinions (laughs) on. Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be a strongly worded uh, episode. I feel, it's <laughs> but be uh, great. first, let's get into some news items um, today. A lot of new, a lot of this news we're gonna be talking about actually came down either over the weekend, this week, or today specifically. And yeah. today, we just got our first look at um, the Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four villain Barbara Minerva slash Cheetah, who will be played by Kristen Wiig. Um, I did not expect to see her fully catted out as Adam said in his article, but I am surprised by how kind of like schlubby and sort of sad and wistful she seems. Um, She's pictured looking at a bunch of animal specimens in a museum, almost like she's, you know, staring at them and wishing that she could possess some of their skills. And that does kind of make sense for what we know of the character from the comics. What did you think of the first look, Eric? Uh, I think it's great. Uh, I think that weirdly, the it's kind of weird to say, but the kind of schlubby part of it kind of fits yeah. Kristen Wiig in a big way. Most like, I mean, like I think about mm-hmm. like her character in Bridesmaids and Ghostbusters, where she doesn't necessarily have it. Actually, well, I guess not in Ghostbusters, but certainly in Bridesmaids, where she doesn't necessarily have it all together, and like yeah. she's trying to and like. I I believe Patty Jenkins has gone on the record uh, talking about Barbara Minerva's role in Wonder Woman 1984, saying Mm -hmm. that she won't start off as a specific rival to Wonder Woman, uh, like that they will actually kind of be friendly. But what that does not necessarily discount is the fact that a big reason why Barbara goes through the changes that she does is because she's jealous of Wonder Woman and like all that. And so you need to on that. So in order to kind of create that, you need to create a certain contrast between Kristen Wiig and uh, Gal Gadot. And uh, and obviously, I mean, Kristen Wiig is a beautiful woman. However, so you do need to kind of maybe just like dress her down a little bit and kind of mess up her little hair a touch uh, just to kind of like. Have, have her uh, a bit of a gap to bridge, I guess. Uh, so, which I guess is what she'll try to do through becoming Cheetah. Of course, as we've mentioned on previous episodes of this show, that uh, attempt doesn't go wor- uh, doesn't exactly work. She goes down yeah. uh, to South America to try this uh, ancient tribal ritual that turns out is supposed to be for virgins. Uh, she's not a virgin, so she gets turned into this monstrous cat lady. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I as for just what you were saying before, uh, just not seeing her all catted out just yet. I'm sure that's just because this movie is still early in production and yeah. uh, like they're still kind of working that stuff out. And obviously that character, I mean, I'm hoping that they use a lot of practical effects for her, but I imagine there are, is going to be a significant amount of visual effects and that's going to take a minute to perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want a situation. Well, we'll talk about this a little bit later <laughs> where, um, you know, there's the first look at her and it's like uh, Venom where when you see Venom, it's like, Oh, 
that's what they're doing. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's uh, not. Yeah. Especially, especially because this movie isn't out for like another year and a half. So you yeah, don't want to yeah. get They've off got on the plenty wrong of foot. time to show us what they're going to be doing with her when she is fully catted out. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see, you know, what comes of it. I'm sure I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. movie. I, I, I think we're going to, yeah, cool I think we're actually in San Diego comic-con. I feel like that's going to be, uh, when Warner brothers, because Marvel studios is going to be around, that's going to mm-hmm. be Warner brothers time to really show off what they've got. And I, I think Shazam is going to be a big part, but I think even mm-hmm. though wonder woman 1984 is only going to be in production for about a month and a half before that event, that's more than enough time to put together some footage that can, uh, excite the fans in hall H. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. We'll see what's coming. All right, well, in some X-Force news, after being introduced to the mutant trio of Deadpool, Cable, and Domino in Deadpool 2, people now want to know when the X-Force movie is going to be coming out. Eric, you talked to writer-director Drew Goddard, who's working on the movie, and he said it's going to be a while before he can really dedicate any time to that because he's got some other stuff that's like more of a more uh, immediate priority. Yes. What's, uh, what's so, holding him up? Well, to kind of allude uh, to what I was kind of, when I'm tired, why I'm tired, and this has been kind of an exhausting <laughs> week, is because uh, I actually spent uh, the first few days of this week uh, in Lake Tahoe uh, in California mm-hmm. for a big uh, press event for uh, the, uh, Bad Times at the at the El Royale, which is Drew Goddard's next film. Yeah. And I'm terribly excited for it. I'm a huge Drew Goddard fan. Ca- the Cabin in the Woods is honestly one of my favorite movies ever not i can't it's not like oh, wow. horror okay. movies favorite modern movies favorite so movies are we talking, ever. are we talking top 10 or like oh yes absolutely i okay. love cabin in the woods and so like anything drew goddard is attached to i am immediately interested in and okay. as previously mentioned in this show i love deadpool i love x-force so this is really just a marriage made in heaven for me um yeah. and but as i mentioned drew, the reason why i was talking to drew goddard is because of his movie bad times at the el royale which mm-hmm. started get this uh, adrian started production in january and is coming out this october so like wow that's quite a yeah, turnaround that is Fast. I mean, obviously, this isn't like a huge, giant, like Marvel blockbuster, yeah. but most movies, they do have like a good like, a year. Yeah, they usually. have a good year between the start of production and when the movie actually comes out. Yeah. So he's clearly working kind of on a crunch time. And uh, at the end of my interview with him, I asked him, essentially, given the fact that you are working to get this movie done within a 10 month uh, period, what, how are you kind of balancing that work with X-Force? And essentially yeah. what he told me is that he is a one movie at a time kind of filmmaker he when he's gonna commit his energy to a project he wants to fully commit himself so yeah, essentially sounds like he, a good plan to me exactly and so i'm sure like he's obviously had conversations with mm-hmm. uh with uh, involving x-force i mean when i talked to josh brolin at the deadpool 2 junket he talked about how he already had sat down with drew goddard to talk about his vision of cable so it's it, he's not completely divorced from it but as far as just writing the script and really digging into it that's probably not going to be happening until november which you know again just because he is currently finishing a movie i that right. that's totally fine i'd rather him be fully committed to 100 percent working on this film as opposed to like balancing mm-hmm. his time between the two and even as he brought up bad times at the el royale is a 20th century fox film so it's like they know that he like they're just he's not working on x-force for them because he's working on a different movie for them so he's got yeah. that kind of uh that comfort zone that he's going for and you know like i said I'm, I'm happy to let him take his time with that and make the best x-force movie that he can possibly make 
Yeah. Now, does X-Force already have a release date or have they not nailed that down yet? They have not. Uh, that has not okay. been. Yeah, I think. And I think I mean, I think Fox has certain release dates kind of carved out for the next couple of years. But they as far as like specifically when X-Force is coming out, that's not something they've said yet. OK. All right. So we got a while to wait, but it sounds like it's going to be worth the wait. Yeah. OK. You got okay, it cool. <laughs> um, HBO's Watchmen series, which. I honestly had forgotten they were doing <laughs> until this news came out. Um, it's already got quite a cast lined up. Regina King, Tim Blake Nelson, Don Johnson, Luke, uh, Lou Gossett Jr. Um, and now Jeremy Irons is joining the cast. Big get. Um, Eric, I have to ask you, why are they even doing this? Uh, was there a lot of stuff from the comics that was left out of the movie? What's... What are they doing with this now? Sure. Uh, well, I, I understand that kind of idea. And frankly, it's kind of an, almost an adoption of the Alan Moore perspective on this, which is, I don't give a shit. I don't want anything <laughs> to do with this. Uh, I, I totally respect that mentality because, I mean, again, I mean, this is a complaint that was happening before Zack Snyder started working on his version. I mean, hell, this was mm-hmm. this was in conversation when Terry Gilliam was talking about doing a version of Watchmen for HBO. I mean, p- yeah. there's always been a clash uh, with between like an argument about fans and whether or not uh, Watchmen should be adapted into other or even expanded in any way. So yeah. and a lot of that, again, stems from the, the fact that Alan Moore kind of has just a long, terrible history with Hollywood. That being said, that on the table, <laughs> just that. Yeah. So that's all. That's all there. Um, I have seen plenty of comic book material that does not uh, that I did not necessarily think needed to be brought to uh, live action. That did not necessarily to happen. Necessarily need to see happen, and been completely surprised by it. And a big part of that is because they can change the material. Uh, a big thing mm-hmm. that I'm specifically referencing right in my head right now is the Seth Rogen, Sam Catlin, uh, Evan Goldberg series Preacher, which okay. I love. I, I, the original comic is. If you guys haven't uh, read this comic, it is one of my favorite of all time. Hopefully, you're okay with adult themes. Uh, if you're familiar Very with the show, okay. you got There's that. a character yes. called, called Arseface or something, yes. right? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's really, I mean, and uh, and it's on AMC, and so that's even pulling punches. The, the, the comic goes way, way further than they could yeah. ever do on cable television. So, uh, but it's a phenomenal comic. I didn't necessarily have the... I, I, as much as I love Sam Catlin and Seth Go- and Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, I wasn't sure that we ever needed a preacher t- television series. But then they right. started it, and it's not a direct adaptation. It's doing something very, very different with the material. And they've just started their third season. The third season premiere is fantastic. Uh, and so, if you again, if you guys aren't watching Preacher, that's another thing you very much should do. And I'm kind of keeping that in mind as Watchmen develops, especially because mm-hmm. I've heard uh, we've seen some kind of details leak out about the movie uh, or about the show just uh, yeah. from set photos. And one thing that uh, stands out as being very interesting is the fact that it seems like it is set after the comic. Uh, it and and it's specifically, by the way, after the comic, not after the movie. So uh, one one of the notable changes for those of you not familiar uh, with the comic is that in the movie it's Doctor Manhattan who's uh, like it's a, it's a similar energy pulse to Doctor Manhattan that is used to decimate cities around the world and uh, put oh, the right. essentially put the world on high alert. Um, yeah. In the comics, however, it's a bit different. Instead of like manipulating Dr. Manhattan's energy, instead, uh, Adrian Veet works with like all the top artists and scientists and engineers around the world to create this giant squid monster that lands in the middle of New York City. And just like, and they especially, uh, it's essentially uh, the idea is that it's an attack from an interdimensional force. And the idea is that it kills so many people that 
you, we just can't deal with this Cold War conflict anymore. You just can't, like, it's not, this doomsday that we are uh, getting to is pointless if there are interdimensional monsters that can just come out of nowhere and just land in the middle of our fucking cities and kill everybody. So, like, so we need world peace and let's deal with this. And that's what it appears this uh, the show is going to be dealing with, that aftermath huh. of that. Um, okay. And it's interesting, if not partially because uh, one thing about Watchmen is that it kind of ends on a cliffhanger because Rorschach, who ultimately very much rejects uh, Adrian Veidt's plan, both in the movie and in the comic, uh, believing yeah. that it's not okay to manipulate the world on this level, and he winds up uh, being killed by Dr. Manhattan for having this belief because he, uh, mm. Dr. Manhattan believes that this is the greater good and Rorschach can't, uh, can't ruin that. But Rorschach's journal, in which he has tracked this entire mystery, uh, winds up going to the press. And so I imagine that part of this show will have to kind of develop that and like expose Adrian Veidt, a.k.a. Ozymandias, for what he did and have kind of the moral dilemma of is this good for the world or do we keep this a secret? Like, does the world deserve the truth or do we keep this a secret? Yeah. That's that's fascinating drama right there. And if they can, if, if it sounds like Damon Lindelof, who published a big open letter on Instagram, uh, just kind of detailing his long personal history with the material, which honestly, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's moving. I, he, it's, it's really uh, a passionate piece of writing. And so... You know, if I, I, I'm not, I'm not willing to write it off. I, I think that there okay. is potential here. I mean, I, we were just talking, you were mentioning the cast. I mean, Jeremy Irons is a huge get. I mean, he's not exactly yeah. known for doing a lot of television, but Regina Hill, Tim Blake Nelson, John Johnson, uh, Luke Gossett Jr. These are, I mean, this is a solid cast and I'm, I, I'm curious. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out. I'll be watching the pilot and uh, we'll see how it goes from there. But yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily think we should be, that fans should be writing this one off completely. Okay, you said Damon Lindelof, right? Yes. Didn't he work on Lost? I hear he did. I hear the name of anybody who worked on Lost, and I think, oh lord, this is going to get so confusing. I have to say, I personally never watched Lost, so like okay. that's kind of actually it's a kind of pop culture black hole. Uh, and I'll say, I haven't seen uh, The Leftovers, which was his most recent show for HBO. That's true. But I've heard that show is phenomenal. I heard that it's like it kind of takes a little a minute to get through the uh, the first season, but as it continues into the second, third, it gets fantastic. So I'm I I, I I'm uh, just hearing that I do want to check it out and it has me curious about what he could do with Watchmen okay alright well we'll see where it goes and right now we don't know who any of these people are playing correct right Correct. Yeah, that's the. I mean, including up to Jeremy Irons, who we know is playing a lead, but the yeah. the trade report specifically said that they are ca keeping all character identities under wraps. Okay. All right. We'll see what happens. Indeed. Moving on, guys. Ant Man and the Wasp coming out on July sixth, and people have already seen it. I haven't. I don't get to see it until early next week. But that's Eric, you you have seen it, correct? I've seen it twice. Oh wow! Already? <laughs> yes. I've seen it twice already. It's uh yeah I I, what did I saw you think? it on. Uh, I loved it. I love this movie a lot. I think it is honestly, um, I mean, I, I, I've said on past episodes, I, I you know, keep re referencing is just that part of Marvel's advantage with sequels is that once they get past that origin story, which is a story that you kind of is very much it's firm, you have to tell it. And it. Yeah. I mean, there are obviously a lot of interesting origin stories from the comics and they develop in interesting ways. Ant-Man being one of them, Scott Lang being a thief who winds up uh, adopting this suit from an older Ant-Man. That is a cool story to tell. But it is also cre creatively locked into specifically telling that story and not being able and like expanding a little bit beyond it, but for the most part limited to that story. Sequels, they can do whatever the hell they want. You, you yeah. have these characters established and you can tell any story that you want with them. And this story, I mean, I mean, 
with just fitting to the theme of being Ant-Man, it's small. It's very, very small, self-contained, especially mm-hmm. and after like Avengers Infinity War, which is like the biggest movie ever. Uh, it's very notable how tiny it is. And and I when I say tiny, I don't even mean necessarily like in terms of stakes, which it very much is. Uh, it's very like it's very, very personal for these characters. Uh, yeah. It really takes place just within San Francisco. All of the action is con- entirely contained within that city. And okay. in a very cool way, it actually utilizes that geography in a, a very interesting fashion uh making first and, and use, utilizing some for some very uh cool action sequences that i won't specifically get into for uh spoiler reasons um okay. but perhaps most importantly within the kind of smaller bit is the fact that the movie doesn't take place in real time but there's no time jumps like essentially once the story starts which begins with i believe uh scott lang three days away from the end of his house arrest following uh his plea agreement for the sokovia accords after civil war he's three days away from finally getting off a house arrest being freed but uh, at the same time hope van dyne and hank pym have been experimenting within the quantum realm and it kind of sends a signal out uh from uh their from hope's mother hank's wife janet who is apparently alive and it starts just cards this big chain reaction of events where they need to take in Scott and go on this adventure. And really just what it is, it's kind of just uh, as the story goes, they have like goal after goal after goal that they have to accomplish in order to try and extract Janet from the mm-hmm. quantum realm. And it so is there's just, a time a- limit on when they need to get in there and get her out. Exactly. Yes, it okay. is. It, it is very much a ticking clock scenario. And but there are also like multiple different uh, kinds of like hindrances along the way and roadblocks they have mm-hmm. to face. And and for, as far as just kind of utilizing not only uh, like the first movie obviously gave us uh, the, the ability to control ants and go down to ant size. But uh, Civil War introduced the idea that Scott Lang can go giant. And so you have like not only that, but also kind of intermittent time uh, size changes uh, that. Honestly, I, I, that I won't get into again because of spoilers, but that make for some incredibly funny uh, moments. And honestly, that's another thing I should just highlight is that this movie is I, honestly I think I, you can qualify it as the funniest Marvel film we've seen. Uh, I might have to I may okay. regret saying that because I hate saying absolute comments uh, uh-huh. just because I eventually I'll think back and I'm saying like, <laughs> well, I guess I could give Guardians. I, I mean, it, it's hard to even weigh that kind of stuff, but it is certainly one of the easily. It's definitely the I'd say the most comedic, uh, comedically focused title in the Marvel Cinematic Universe okay. in that it just lets uh, Paul Rudd use his charm of which he has a ridiculous amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I it's it's a blast. I, I think it is. Uh, I, I think that the first Ant-Man is a solid film and this one just really ups the, ups the ante and it's really just a wonderful film. Okay. Now, when you started, when you launched into this... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> into so that was your, a long spiel. Into your mini review, yes. I felt like you were almost going to say that it was the best movie of the summer, which you already said about Incredibles 2. Eric, is this better than Incredibles 2? A, I said that Incredibles 2 was one of the be- one of the best movies of the summer. I tried to okay. avoid absolute comments and <laughs> previously iterated. Um, I don't know what will end up being uh, the big- my favorite movie of the summer. Honestly, I've seen like this summer has so far been so fantastic. I've seen so many great movies uh, just week to week, and yeah. just thinking about past years where it's just like I've just like dud after dud after dud. This one has not disappointed yet, and at the same, but like there's also some big movies still on the way. I mean. 
the pur- the first Purge is going to be premiering alongside uh, Ant Man and the Wasp on the same weekend. Mm-hmm. That may not be better, but I certainly have some anticipation for it. Uh, and Mission Impossible Fallout, which you know I I love that franchise, and so I I, I like I'm not ready to call uh, what is the best movie okay. of the summer just yet. But you know I like <laughs> if we're talking stars, uh, I'm giving I I give Ant Man and the Wasp a four point five out of five. I I think okay. it is yeah top t- it's top it's top ten MCU for sure. All right, okay. Yeah. Um, now I've heard already some really good things about this movie from other critics, um, sure. but a lot of critics have um, said that it's fun, which is not a, in general a bad thing. But our producer <laughs> no. Hannah pointed out that a lot of critics said the same thing about Solo, that Solo was fun. And as we know, that didn't impress a lot of people. <laughs> Does calling a movie fun not mean anything anymore? Is that a way for people to kind of get out of saying what they really mean about a movie, do you think? I can understand that perspective and the idea of kind of saying like that fun is the word that you use when you're just reaching for something you can say that's nice about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I assume that's what Hannah means by that. Yeah. Um, that's not the case with this movie, though. This movie is like, as like... I, for some reason, studio big studio summer comedies have kind of fallen to the wayside, and part of that is just because there there's there's that reach con, there was that constant reach to create the next Hangover that kind of over expanded its reach and uh, yeah. kind of poisoned the well a little bit. So, um, but this is very much harkens back to that, and so that's kind of why I lean back on the word fun because. While there are so many movies that are like big action blockbusters that are thrilling and that are just like edge of your seat and you're totally in it. Uh, yeah. This one is just like you're really in it, but also you're just laughing the whole way through and you're just like you're engaged. It's You're engaged in a completely different way than you were uh, through, uh, for example, Avengers Infinity War or yeah. probably. I mean, so uh, like and it's just like and it's just they have it's a lot of visual gags that they're able to do again just with like the different size changes. And so I I, like, I, I totally. Totally understand that perspective on the idea of just like um, the lighting was really good or like uh, you were really great. And like, I mean, it's just kind of that, like uh, just trying to search for anything, yeah. uh, which, by the way, I have to constantly do in interviews that like you just have to just. Yeah. When you're talking about bad movies, but that's a yeah. whole other thing to get into. Um, but yeah, that's not the that's case. A, that's a different podcast. Yes, exactly. Uh, but for this one, uh, it's yeah, this one is legit great. Okay, well, well, talking about how much you laughed, you're kind of giving me Deadpool two feelings. Uh huh. Well, I mean, is it's, that, it's very. Is that a, is, was it a similar situation where you felt like you had to see it again because people were laughing so much that you couldn't I quite mean, hear what was going on sometimes? It, it wasn't even necessarily about that. I was kind of more going just for like the detail oriented, and obviously, I'm doing like, yeah. a bunch of interviews for this, and like so, like I mean, that was what mostly propelled me going to see it twice. But the reality is, is that actually like what's even more amazing about it is I saw it two nights in a row, and I laughed at the exact same jokes with the same exact intensity. Like it's just it's I mean because nice. it doesn't necessarily rely on like set up jokes it's just it's a lot of it is just the kind of the interpersonal banter between the characters because i've mentioned paul rudd but evangeline lily is perfect in this and she makes such a great foil uh for paul rudd and like Mm -hmm. it's not even just that like she's kind of the straight man uh yeah to use a gendered term uh but you know but like there is a great back and forth and she has a lot of great funny lines and it also it's just it expands beyond that as well because i will say another uh character who i will immediately highlight is randall park is randall park as jim as jimmy woo who is 
who he hasn't been featured in any of the trailers so far. We've seen you've seen none of his uh none of his stuff in the marketing. But Jimmy Woo is essentially the FBI agent who has been attached who has been assigned Scott Lang's case. So he is the one who's constantly checking in on him, making sure that he's following the house arrest protocol. And mm-hmm. I, I'm a huge Fresh Off the Boat fan. Like I I, I think Randall yeah, Park he's is really absolutely good on hilarious. That show, yeah. And he, he honestly he every scene he's in he he, he steals the show like mm-hmm. he is just I mean, there's a great like seriousness to him that mm-hmm. like where he presents himself with authority but then like at the end of it it kind of like undercuts with just like he's kind of a nice guy who's kind of putting up this facade a little bit but it's just like it, it makes for some amazing material throughout yeah. the, the entire film and it's re- it's really a highlight it's something you guys and of course like the, still the supporting cast of like Michael Pena and David Almasian and T.I. Uh, yeah. to also as kind of the ex-cons and yeah it, it, it utilizes them all incredibly well okay cool all right since you spent like 18 days doing like press junkets <laughs> and set visits and all this other stuff for ant-man and the wasp what yes. else can you tease about the movie um, does it connect to the larger mcu can you just give me like a yes or no are there any clues to how talking- they're going to get people back <laughs> from the thanos uh, snap Okay, in that case, in that case, I'll say that the answer is no. It is very much self-contained okay. uh, within that, and also takes place. Uh, the movie takes place before uh, Infinity War, so it very much is self-contained within that. Um, so yeah, don't go in expecting that. But I will say, uh, just as far as just kind of a, like just what else I can say about this is that they've been keeping Ghost, uh, the character played by Hannah John Kamen, uh, yeah. very much a secret, and. There's good reason for that because there are some interesting surprises that come with it. However, mm-hmm. um, it's interesting to note that she's not necessarily a villain. She is very like, and I know that's what they always say with like comic book characters because it's like hero of your own story and all that. Yeah. But she really isn't a villain. She is just a character in this same story who has similar goals that happen to kind of not work alongside with what uh, Hank Pym's uh, Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne are doing. So mm-hmm. it kind of, it creates an antagonism, but it's not necessarily, she's not like, it's not a situation she's where not she's out a to big get bad. Him. Right, exactly. It's not a big bad where the mission is to stop her. That's yeah. not really what it is. The, the larger, the mission of the movie is to rescue Janet and she fits into that in her own special way. Again, that I will not get into. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, what, what else can you tell us about Lawrence Fishburne's character? Oh, Lawrence Fishburne's character. It's, well, it's Bill Foster, who is another character from the comics who is Mm -hmm. known for uh, particularly growing. And the way he's introduced in this uh, movie, and it's kind of hinted at in the marketing, is that he's an old colleague of Hank Pym's. And in fact, Mm -hmm. actually, I learned that when I was on set through our interviews uh, with the cast. And uh, really, the highlight of Lawrence Fishburne's role is just the back and forth he has with Michael Douglas, because... Uh, part of this movie, and actually this is something I brought up in my interview with Michael Douglas, is that it very much highlights the fact that uh, Dr. Hank Pym is kind of an acerbic asshole. He, like, he's kind of a jerk. And <laughs> like, and, and, and obviously part of that is just the fact that he, he, he was, he's kind of a broken man after he lost Janet. His wife's gone, is, yeah. Like, entirely blamed himself. But the interesting thing about what this movie does about that is that his relationship with Bill Foster came bef- was before uh, Janet disappeared. And mm-hmm. he was still like, and Bill Foster still didn't like him. He still thought he was like an arrogant asshole who like completely yeah. would, would have his, his way or no way. And so like, it kind of really, sounds so that, like they were frenemies back in the day, like they were competitors. 
It, well, they, they were working together uh, like on the same project, which was it's a project called Goliath, which is like, obviously uh, like a hint back to Lawrence Fishburne's uh, again, Bill Foster's role in the comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like they're, they're kind of forced together because uh, I mean, Dr. Hank Pym thinks that like essentially the idea is like Dr. Hank Pym thinks they were all his ideas and that Bill Foster didn't actually add any, bring anything to the table, but at the same time thinks that he did. And so they just have a very intellectual back and forth rivalry uh, that has only gotten worse over the years because uh, the reality is that Bill does not pull punches uh, when it comes to certain subjects uh, mm-hmm. that I will not get into. But, um, but you know, it, but it, it, it's great. It's, it's a great acerbic relationship. And it's, it, and again, like it adds, for, it adds to the comedy in, in a cool way. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the most important thing when you talk about any superhero movie, <laughs> the post or mid credit scene. Is there one? Is there more than one? How cool is it? I'm keeping my comments here very, very limited because they definitely need to be a surprise. So okay. answer to your question, how many? There are two. Yeah. There's one mid-credits, one post-credits. Okay. And as far as uh, does a top Deadpool 2, it is definitely one of the... It, it's easily the, one of the best of the Marvel Cinematic Universe ever. It is It is. Uh, it is a surprise. It is very cool. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's all I'll say. Done. Okay. Okay. Let me ask you this, though. Also sure. self-contained, has nothing to do with the rest of the MCU, these post-mid-credit scenes. Bleeding the fifth. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I see, I see how you are. <laughs> yep. Bleeding the fifth. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, we can move on now so I don't, you know, torture you and sure. get you to say <laughs> things you're not supposed to say right now. Um, right. Okay. We're going to be moving on and talking about Spider-Man Far From Home, that official title was revealed over the weekend um the movie comes out on july 5th 2019 what could this subtitle mean aside from the obvious keeping the like whole theme with home going uh so like uh actually fortunately this uh, tom holland decided his little tiny leak uh, quote unquote because clearly it was a setup by the studio uh that this was meant to come right. out right uh, that that was so i had done uh the t- my on camera interviews with the cast and uh cast of M and the wasp and uh peyton reed uh, on mm-hmm. saturday that night tom holland revealed the title of spider-man far from home and then the next morning i fortunately had my interview with marvel studios president Kevin Kevin Feige, which, you know, that worked out fairly well timing wise. And so uh, during that interview, I did ask him uh, kind of what the meaning of like how they came to Far From Home, why that was Mm -hmm. utilized as a title. And specifically that because uh, Spider-Man Homecoming was a loaded title in the sense that it obviously the movie has uh, a homecoming dance involved, but it's also Spider-Man returning to coming to the MCU and right. return, make it a homecoming to Marvel. So, uh, and I asked him specifically, does, uh, is it, is far from home that same way? And he did confirm it. He did say that far from home has more than one meaning, uh, mm-hmm. which is obviously very interesting and kind of ups, uh, our kind of speculation, uh, factors a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, part of it, and I, uh, is just the fact that one thing we have heard about this movie is that, uh, it's going to have Spider-Man on uh, on a field, well, not a field trip, but on vacation, essentially. And he's going to be like kind of touring around Europe, which, you know, uh, like that's, I, I think, a cool little element uh, just because we've only really known Spider-Man. I guess in Homecoming, in we got to see him in Washington, D.C., but yeah. uh, but we've never seen him in, I mean, outside of Civil War, like at the airport. We, we can now see him out and about in Europe, which would be cool. Yeah. Um, so that obviously being that 
is very that makes him far from home on a certain level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I will credit this. This is actually a conversation I had with a colleague of mine uh, from another site. As I actually may have mentioned one of his th- one or two of his theories uh, on the show before. As my friend Silas Lesnick, who works at Movie Bill, uh, mm-hmm. he has this whole theory uh, stemming from Avengers Four, which, as we all know, there is that kind of conflict that exists between the production of Spider-Man: Far From Home, which stars Tom Holland as Peter Parker, despite the fact that in Avengers Infinity War, we watched him turn into dust. Uh, How do you kind of correlate the two of those things? And the interesting theory that my friend Silas came up with is that when when Thanos approached Vision to get the, the final stone that he needed to complete the Infinity Gauntlet, to get the Mind Stone, and he reversed time in order to, uh, like repair vision after Scarlet Witch killed him. Oh, did he, did he cause like a split timeline or something? Exactly. Uh, it's kind, of, uh, kind of turning back to the warnings that uh, uh, Baron Mordo gave to Dr. Strange in Dr. Strange about potentially creating alternate timelines. And so there is, when uh, Thanos does that, when he makes the decision to turn back time and save vision's life, you can essentially create two different timelines. One oh. in which, yes, Thanos did uh, manage to bring vision back to life, take the mind stone and then do the snap of the fingers so that existence exists where half of the population of the universe died. However, there's another timeline where it didn't work. Scarlet, they, Scarlet Witch actually managed to managed to stop him in time. Uh, he didn't manage to get the final stone. And so you have this timeline where you continue off in that direction. And so obviously in one of those timelines, Spider-Man is dead. And in the other timeline, he's not. And so... Could it potentially be that the way that Spider-Man is brought back into the universe is by crossing timelines? Uh, so, which would essentially make him far from home. Uh, yeah. Ooh, it's, uh, I just got chills. Uh, right? Uh, I, I think that, I, I think it is a very interesting theory. And I, I again, I got to give Silas all the credit in the world for it because I think it would be very, very cool. I like the idea that they start experimenting with alternate dimensions. Obviously, uh, as we talked about uh, two weeks ago on the show, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the animated movie that's coming out in December, is very much yeah. going to be diving into that. So uh, to bring it into live action and kind of create that in a way. And also just a part, a huge part that I love about that idea is that it means means the characters did die it's not a cop-out to say that right. like that the characters are just brought back to life or kept safe in a different universe in this timeline they did they did actually die there just happens to be another timeline where they didn't and so mm-hmm. you just create a contrast there and you know i i really like that idea um and so and it could fit into and as spider and kevin feige has said that spider-man far from home this was obviously before it had its title uh said yeah. that essentially Spider-Man was the character who they were going to use to kind of come down off the high, uh, the big kind of massive world universe shaking events of Avengers four and kind right. of relate back to the world. And that's an awesome way to do it through Spider-Man being suddenly finding himself in a universe that's technically not his own. And right. so, yeah, I, I, I think that could be a lot of fun. Oh, I really like yeah. that. So have <laughs> they said um, specifically that oh yes this takes place after infinity war yes essentially okay. uh, and actually yes. well, and i will also just add in a funny joke that kevin feige said because he did add that like um we that there was like there was an idea of tom holland performing a motion, motion capture performance as a pile of dust that they decided not to <laughs> end up going with which is yeah just i i gotta give him credit for that funny little gag but um so but I, it does appear that peter parker is alive uh but these events definitely take place after the events of infinity war and kind of will be dealing with those consequences so yeah yeah. Ooh. Okay. Now I'm I'm looking forward to this movie even more than I was before. Now, 
Nice. Okay. Now, like you said earlier, Peter Parker is going to be stepping away from New York for this movie. Um, mm -hmm. Do we know, is most of this movie going to be taking place in Europe? And do we have any idea why he's going to Europe? Um, I mean, there, there's been, it hasn't been anything official from the studio. There have been no official comments on that, on that sense or in that way. There have been some like leaked reports from various sources uh, that have reported rumors. Uh, and a lot of that is just from casting reports and kind of the suggestion mm -hmm. of what they're looking for as far as uh, new characters that they're going to introduce. And some of those have included uh, like European characters. So that has kind of hinted people towards that. Plus there have been kind of just like little rundowns that kind of give you an idea and those kind of leak out. So like I said, there hasn't been anything official from Sony or uh, Marvel just yet. And in fact, I should mention even that when I, when Kevin Feige told me that bit about the, the movie having two different meanings far from home, uh, two different ways that um, he wouldn't even confirm that like the European stuff. Like he said, that okay. he wouldn't confirm any details of exactly why it has multiple meanings. So it is very much being kept under wraps, but that does appear to be the direction that they're going in. And again, mm -hmm. like, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing that. I'm interested in how like uh, Spider-Man deals with different landmarks and cultures and languages and territories and all that kind yeah. of different stuff. So yeah. New York, I mean, cause, cause that's the other thing is like New York is such a perfect uh, setting for Spider-Man because he's got all these skyscrapers to swing between and like it's his yeah. perfect domain and, but as we saw in Spider-Man Homecoming when he's stranded out in the suburbs he's a little bit at a disadvantage so like with different European cities you're going to have like classic architecture and different kind of uh, city city layouts. I mean, Paris, obviously working in giant circles and there's different ways to work around that. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how those, that movie winds up uh, using the geography of just mm -hmm. the different countries, which, you know, I mean, who even know, we don't even know which countries he's necessarily going to yet. But, yeah, that's you know, true. It has my curiosity. Yeah. Same here. Okay. Mysterio is rumored to be the villain. <laughs> and <laughs> I admit this is somebody that I don't really know that much about. Um, and reports are also indicating that Jake Gyllenhaal might play him. Uh, Eric, can you just tell us who Mysterio is and how you think the movie might introduce him or use the character if he turns out to be the villain? Sure. Um, and actually, I, I think we touched I, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about this uh, when when I had Sean uh, subbing for you on the show. Uh, we yeah. did kind of a little bit of a dive into uh, Mysterio when he was first being cast. Uh, the character uh, is his real name is Quentin Beck. He is a special effects artist from Hollywood, which honestly has made me like wonder for years why we have not seen this character in a movie. Like it is just such a perfect marriage. I don't understand why you would yeah. use that. Um, <laughs> but he is a master special effects artist. He can create a vast, like intense illusions that are not only appear very, very real, but can be also very, very life threatening. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the way that it kind of starts is that uh, the way that he first interacts with Spider-Man is he's doing this big kind of stunt on a bridge that uh, he winds up not uh, being super safe uh, within kind of the parameters of what he's doing. So Spider-Man has to interfere, uh, winds up saving a bunch of people in the process, but Quentin Beck loses his job, loses everything that he cares about in the world and decides mm. to dedicate his world, his life to vengeance Spider-Man. Spider and yeah. uh, part of that involves apparently putting a fishbowl on his head and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just and, and like a green a and purple costume. 
Exactly, yes. They it, loved it is, those green and purple costumes back in the day with comic books. Hey, I don't know what the deal was. <laughs> it's because green and purple look really good together on the page. Those colors just really popped. <laughs> on the page other, and so. nowhere else. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> now, in real life, they're definitely going to have to tone that down a little bit. But, uh, you know, we'll see where they go with it, and especially because of the, the dome. I, I, I hope they don't go too far with it. If not just yeah. because, especially, um, I didn't get to talk about this last week. Or actually, well, I can't really talk about it at all. Never mind. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was about to segue into a whole thing that I realized. Terrible. <laughs> talk about yeah but uh oh actually wait no i can't talk about this because we've actually seen the helmet uh black manta in um oh yeah aquaman the fact that like they fully committed to this kind of weird looking giant round helmet with these two giant red glowing eyes Mm -hmm. uh they fully committed to that so you know uh if they can find a realistic way to uh make mysterio like transfer mysterio's kind of strange look to the big screen i'm all about it and also like jake gyllenhaal casting hell yeah like yeah. <laughs> i love jake gyllenhaal like he is easily one of my favorite actors uh currently working if not i, I might even go as far as to say he's my favorite actor currently working i just absolutely love every single thing he does mm-hmm. and uh, the fact and you know it's funny that like back in the day he was there was a lot of discussion about when toby Maguire had back issues following spider-man 2 and there was a whole big question mark about whether or not he he would be able to do Spider-Man 3. And so Jake Gyllenhaal was mentioned as his possible replacement. So yeah. there's kind of a coming full circle thing here. And, you know, I am, I'm, I'm thrilled to see this marriage of uh, Mysterio uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal. I think that should be really something special. Okay. Now we've also heard that supposedly Michael Keaton is coming back as Vulture. How would this Mysterio thing work with Vulture around also? Do you know which one would be the secondary villain? I mean, I imagine that they would keep... Uh, Michael Keaton uh, is Adrian Toomes kind of in the background as kind of a secondary villain uh, Mm -hmm. just because I mean where we left last time he's in prison yeah you know, honestly, I mean, I don't know how terribly flawed or corrupt the uh, justice system in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, but he should probably be in prison for a little while. For a while, yeah. Uh, Just just for at least a minute. So if he is operating, uh, I am kind of hoping that he's almost operating behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, obviously he still has his connection with the Tinkerer, who has a habit of, like, obviously creating devices for supervillains and different weapons that they can use. And Quentin Beck does kind of devise his own stuff, but maybe he uses Tinkerer's resources to kind of give a little bit of extra oomph to some of the stuff that he's working on in his Mm -hmm. vengeance plans against Spider-Man. I could totally see that happening. And honestly, just one thing that I'd love to see them do with Adrian Toomes in general is I'd love to see, just because um, Green Goblin uh, has been a part, uh, he was obviously used in both uh, the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies and used in the Amazing Spider-Man movies in the second one. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily need to see Harry Osborn again. However, yeah. Michael Keaton was so goddamn good as Adrian Toomes in that first movie and so incredibly threatening and uh, kind of put into a authoritative position. I'd love to see the MCU wind up developing him as their Harry Osborn and kind of elevating him to a higher level and be that kind of classic antagonist for Spider-Man as he goes. Yeah. I mean, obviously the fact that he knows Spider-Man's identity is just a little Huge. bit important. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I I, I, I really, I, I am excited by the idea of Michael Keaton's character developing. He is unquestionably one of the best villains we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I say that knowing that Marvel's like, history with like not so great villains is a little bit behind them that they've started really mm-hmm. developing uh really strong antagonists from really i mean spider-man homecoming was really kind of a big catalyst for that and it's kept going uh since then with uh eric killmonger and black panther and uh hella and thor ragnarok and of course yeah. thanos who is just like the biggest biggest awesome 
bad of them all. Yeah. And so uh, I'm, I'm very, I, I'm excited to see what they wind up doing uh, with those two antagonists. And, you know, who knows? They, I mean, we may see that could be their start of maybe developing some kind of their own Sinister Six, which obviously, as some of you may know. Which they was... were trying to do back with the uh, Andrew Garfield. Exactly. Uh, with, they were trying to spin that off. And, of course, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies didn't do well enough for them to pursue that. And funny enough, to prove that everything is Kevin Bacon-related, Six Degrees of Separation, <laughs> who was hired to write and direct that Sinister Six movie? Drew Goddard! So, oh, nice. yes, uh Yeah, so, I mean, so, like, I mean, and actually, from what I understand, that, that script that... Uh, Drew Goddard wrote for Sinister Six was a very much, a very independent of uh, really kind of the amazing, like it was very much its own spinoff that centered on these six mm-hmm. Spider-Man villains in their own separate mission. And so from what I, from what Drew Goddard said around the time of that project uh, of the Amazing Spider-Man franchise kind of falling apart, there isn't, there isn't necessarily anything disqualifying the idea of adapting that Sinister Six script for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that'd be a pretty cool thing, especially uh, yeah. as they you start, because as you start making more Spider-Man movies, you can start switching it up and like maybe a Sinister Six movie to make a Spider-Man movie from a completely different perspective. And, mm-hmm. you know, that could be uh, very cool. I'd be very interested in seeing that. Yeah. Okay, another rumor we've heard about Far From Home, potentially that there will be a different take on Gwen Stacy in this movie and possibly a femme fatale character. Do you think Gwen could show up? And who do you think this badass female mystery lady could be? Um, honestly, if I'm going for a badass mystery lady, the character, the first character that uh, pops to my mind is Black Cat, uh, who is uh, a notable thief, uh, who like is kind of it's who is oh I've always appreciated that actually she was they were kind of hinting at her with uh, Felicity Jones's role in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Again, that turned into absolutely nothing. Yeah. But Black Black Hat, I've always loved as a character in Spider-Man because while we've long had like characters like Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane who are romantic interests for Peter Parker, mm-hmm. Black Hat is the romantic interest for Spider-Man. It very much splits his duality and uh like almost uh like he she's kind of uh, attracts him more to the kind of superhero masked vigilante life in the sense that like he has this whole suit like powerful individual life as a costume crime fighter and yeah. so uh and Black Hat very much encourages that. She is very much kind of like she's very playful with him. She, I mean, again, she's kind of a she's an anti she's an antihero in a way because while she is a master criminal and thief, she uh, in the comics she has a long standing uh, antagonism with the, with Kingpin, and so uh, she so like her goals are kind of aligned with good. However, she doesn't have the most uh, the best you know path getting yeah. there so but I, I love that character and as far as introducing kind of a uh a femme fatale character that is that's that's right up that alley okay well here's my question isn't this the character that is supposed to be starring in a silver and black movie with and we're going to talk about sony's uh like spider verse in a mm. minute but isn't yes. that supposed isn't that the same character that's supposed to be in that but, movie, <laughs> it is. Yes, it is. Uh, however, that movie, as uh, previously mentioned, and that's because uh, and the S- Silver and Black is named after Silver, uh, Silver Sable and Black Cat, and it's supposed to be kind of a team up movie between them. It's a ta- di- uh, not involved with the MCU. It's kind of along the lines, and again, we'll get into that yeah. in a minute. But that project has also been delayed. Uh, it's been taken off the calendar for a minute or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's like it had a release date. It no longer has a release date. There are some rumors that production may start up in uh, January or somewhere sometime in 2019 uh 
whether or not I mean it was kind of obvious that that movie wasn't going to come together in time just because it was given a February 2019 release date and unlike Drew Goddard's <laughs> Bad Times at the El Royale most movies are not made in 10 months yeah. so uh, they just they, like the, the time they just did not like that Sony scheduling wise that never really made sense so it mm-hmm. sounds like they're going to kind of go like take a step back figure out what they've got and use the rest of 2018 to kind of figure that out um, okay. but you know maybe that will be the opportunity to kind of for Marvel to kind of walk through that door and you know say like lay a claim for this character because and this is something we'll get into is just like i hate the whole like robbing peter to pay paul element of the quote-unquote spider-verse and I, yeah I, you know, I won't even get that far into it because we are gonna we'll, we'll dive into that in a second uh just remind well, let's, me let's just go ahead and subject. get into it right okay, now <laughs> fine yeah yeah it's okay time for segue sure. now so that uh, everybody knows this yes. segment is actually called what the <laughs> fuck is sony actually the fuck doing because today they announced yet another Spider-Man spinoff that uh, from Sony that apparently won't have Spider-Man in it, focusing on the vampire Morbius, also known as Morbius the Living Vampire. Isn't that correct? That is correct. Starring Jared Leto, who is already the Joker, like currently the Joker, people. Yeah, and uh, as we discussed in recent weeks, like getting his own solo movie for God knows what reason very, very soon. So, yeah, like, not why? Even, like an, an, why? an inactive okay. joke. Let, like let me, let, let me say this. I have to get this out. I don't understand the growing <laughs> desire of these studios to announce an extra thing when they don't even know yet if the original thing will be a thing for anybody. Like, what, you know, Venom comes out on October 5th. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, uh, folks are really intrigued by this because the trailer on YouTube has racked up more views than any other Spider-Man movie with 64 million views. But for all we know, 60 of those 64 million people, 60 million of those people could have been watching and laughing at it. We don't know if anybody's going to like Venom. We don't yeah, know so if anybody's going to see it. We don't know... You know, and already they're announcing more of these spinoffs and with the trouble of with Silver and Black that being pushed back a couple of times and then completely taken off the schedule. What is Sony about to DC the fuck out of its Spider-Verse before it even really gets started? (laughs) I mean, honestly, it almost sounds like Dark Universe, maybe the kind of uh, accurate parallel. Okay. (laughs) Just like starts. I mean, at least DC is like a few movies in. That's true. It was dead before it it was almost dead before it started. Um, You know, as, as far as like the Venom trailer numbers, I I think it's part of it has just got to be curiosity. Like Spider-Man, I guess like, people kind of know what to get out of a Spider-Man movie. So maybe they just like, like, so maybe that is something to do with that. And like, they don't really know what to expect from a Venom movie, but you know, and maybe it is just the fact that like compared to the first Venom trailer, this was a much better one. I mean, at least it like featured something special. Eh, with yeah. That end bit they of, did with actually Tom show Hardy. Venom as opposed to the first trailer where they didn't show Venom at all. Isn't that correct? Which, yes. And yeah. that was one, honestly, one of the weirdest, most confusing marketing ideas I have ever seen. I like, mm-hmm. I watched that trailer in complete befuddlement. I have no idea what they were planning <laughs> with that. Uh, that is, is just unbelievably ridiculous. However, um, so, I mean, I, I think there is probably a, a certain level of curiosity about Venom. I have no idea how it will translate. But, and this gets into kind of what I was uh, saying earlier, there is just ultimately a a robbing Peter to pay Paul whole thing with the existence of this quote-unquote Spider-Verse because 
the reality is that if you have all these, if you're introducing firm versions of these characters, like uh, Tom Hardy as Venom and Jared Leto as Morbius, the living vampire. Yeah. You're essentially saying like, these are their, these are the live action version of these characters and they're not in the MCU. And the MCU isn't going to just say like, okay, you have that Morbius. We're going to make our own Morbius. They're just not going to do that. Especially right. because Sony is dist- is producing and distributing these movies. They like, they have, an, they have no interest in having these kind of titles compete with one another, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that they are in disparate universes. And so the development strategy, I just don't understand because I would love to see a Tom Hardy Venom in the MCU but it doesn't sound like that's what we're getting. And again, Black right. Cat. And that's another thing. Character- I feel like they keep going back and forth on whether or not we might see, um, you know, uh, the current version of Spider-Man in these movies or not. I feel like they keep I, going back and forth on that. I mean, I, I know that there there is a lot of speculation about it. I honestly think that it is it is a disparate thing, if not just because if you're looking at the producers of this project, um, you're not, it's not Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige is not involved. This is a uh, yeah. project that has been developed by Avi Arad and Matt Tomak, who are the producers who uh, shepherd, helped shepherd the original Spider-Man trilogy and the Andrew Garfield movies before now. And they're not involved with the MCU at all. They have a completely different deal. They okay. have their own uh, certain ownership to Spider-Man rights that they've held for a long time, which, uh, which is uh, kind of part of their whole deal with Sony. And so, like... I, I, I really like I know a lot of people are getting their hopes up for it because like there was some comments about like Tom Holland uh, being spotted on the set of Venom. I, 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 I'm really encouraging people not to get their hopes up about this <laughs> because I just I, I, I don't think it's happening. I just I, I think it is very much its own thing. And I think all of these projects are. And it's, I, and I think it's part of it is just like, again, like Avi Arad and Matt Tomek supporting these films. It's kind of just cr- like height. It's almost like maintaining their own brand while at the same time, like as they've given up power, certain powers uh, involving the character to the MCU, they're trying to keep their own grip on things. But at the same time, it's just it it, for, for audiences, audiences lose in this scenario. Um, And and to kind of get into uh, kind of uh, Morbius, the living vampire, he's a cool character. Uh, He he makes for an interesting Spider-Man antagonist. I don't know uh, how much you know about him from the comics, um, uh, he there's some kind of experiment or something, and he gets basically turned into a vampire. <laughs> well, I said, I mean, it's it, it is kind of a very classic kind of horror origin story in which he he's this doc is a doctor Michael Morbius, which honestly is one of my favorite comic book names ever. Like I I love alliteration <laughs> and comic book names, and Michael Morbius is right up there. Uh, but he is a uh, I believe a, a like a biochemist or uh, and just works in that field. However, he's dying from a certain blood disease, so he decides to experiment on himself and. Uh, essentially turns himself into a vampire and he's called Morbius the living vampire because he's not dead. He's not undead. He right. never, like, it's not that kind of classic, but he does like have a uh, very pale skin. He flies and he needs to subsist on human, human blood, blood in order to survive. Okay. So like, so again, living vampire. Um, and it's kind of an antihero because he's internally conflicted about this. He is, I mean, he's very much a Jekyll and Hyde character in that uh, like the, the Michael side of him doesn't want to hurt anybody. He doesn't want to feast on blood. However, he is a victim of this uh, terrible science experiment gone wrong. And as a result, uh, through various comics and his history in uh, in Marvel Comics, he's kind of been introduced at times as an anti-hero character who does, I mean, which is very similar to the whole development strategy with Venom in that, like, that's just yeah. kind of, they're kind of just repurposing uh, him to be kind of more in that protagonist role. And, you know, uh... 
you know, I just, I, I, I don't. I find I it so it. confusing. It's so confusing. <laughs> All just, of I mean, it. Yeah, and like I, 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 I don't hate Jared Leto. Like, uh, like I think like like I really dug him in Fight Club. I think his performance yeah. in Dallas Buyers Club legitimately earned that Oscar. It is a fantastic performance. But you know, I kind of got a little exhausted listening to the set, uh, like the stories from the set of Suicide Squad <laughs> with him kind of torturing his co-stars for zero yeah. fucking reason. Uh, yeah, which sit, I sitting just, like dead rats and and yeah, other just, crazy I mean, stuff. Yeah. That's just exhausting bullshit. I mean, just live in reality, dude. And so, like, and, and I don't want to even think about what the fuck he's going to do to, like, <laughs> become a fucking vampire. Like, I don't, he's going to be sleeping upside down at night and in a fucking coffin. I don't know. And I don't, like, I don't want to even think about that. I just, I like, you know, if you're going to hire, like, a guy who's been attached to comic book movies but hasn't necessarily gotten his legit shot yet, hire Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I like that guy. Put him, oh, get him yeah. some roles. Uh, so, like, I, I, but at the same time, but, like, it's, seems that the world of comic book adaptations seems to be dead set of let on letting Jared Leto kind of make these characters. And, you know, like, I mean, I, like, I'll go back to what I was saying about Watchmen earlier, where it's like, I hate to be the negative guy and I'll give everything a chance. And, uh, like, you know, who knows how it'll turn out? Like Daniel, uh, Daniel Espinosa <laughs> is the guy directing it. And, uh, like he did a movie called, he did a movie, uh, a couple years ago called safe house with Ryan Reynolds mm-hmm. and Denzel Washington. That oh, yeah. isn't good. Uh, it's just not good. <laughs> And, I'd uh, forgotten all about it. <laughs> yeah, and, and then yeah, exactly. And uh, and he did. I, I think it's God. Was that last year? It might have been last year. The movie Life uh, with Ryan Reynolds and yeah, Jake that Gyllenhaal. was last year. And uh, like, which and actually movie... people were saying was supposed to be like a precursor to Venom or something Venom. like that. I think. Yeah, there you go. Wow, six degrees of separation all over. They were clicking in this yeah. episode. It's great. Um, so like <laughs> in that movie, like I, I think it's better than Safe House, but it's still not awesome um and so like you know like maybe this is his thing but you know i just uh yeah i don't know what the whole plan is here like again like i just feel that every every little announcement and development that furthers the spider-verse just takes away from the potential of spider-man in the marvel cinematic universe and i hate to see that it just it sucks because the whole point of him coming to the marvel cinematic universe was being able to utilize him like to his fullest and right and that includes making- all his you know his rogues gallery and if they keep doing these sony offshoot spinoff movies that aren't connected then that cuts down on the spider-man characters that they can use in the mcu exactly and honestly and like one one name that i keep hearing like they, it keeps getting hinted at in the trade reports and like would honestly just be kind of a last straw for me is the talk about Craven, uh, Craven the Hunter uh, being getting his own Sony Spider-Verse uh, film. And it's just, I know guys, come on. Like, he, Craven is part of one of the greatest storylines in the history of Spider-Man comics. And so like, and we deserve to get to see that played out in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's not yeah. fair to just, like, to rob us of that just because, like, you can. And, like, that's... I don't know. I just... Adrian, it, it, I, 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 get, I get frustrated sometimes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can tell. <laughs> I am a little so, bit frustrated, too. And I'm not... I haven't even read, all like, all the Spider-Man comics or whatever like you have. And I am frustrated by this. 
it's i mean and uh, and you know i mean maybe and who knows maybe i am completely wrong and it'll turn out like this is some like it's been secretly part of this massive plan that like not only is like uh like you have like uh, that whole spider-man far from home like uh, parallel timeline that i mentioned that was involving but obviously you have spider-man into the spider-verse which is diving into the multiverse and maybe venom in itself exists on some plane of the multiverse that they can then cross into and maybe it's like some part of some maximum like incredible like far-seeing plan that Mm -hmm. like I only mm-hmm. would ever dream about seeing play out on the big screen. It would never anticipate actually happening, but in machinations on the big screen. And so when it actually happens, I'm like, holy shit, they actually fucking pulled that off. Do I yeah. think that's going to happen though? No, no. Good good luck with that. <laughs> that's where I'm at. Yeah. So, yeah. Boom. Yeah, I, I, I completely get it. I'm bas- yeah. ba- I'm basically in the same place. All right, <laughs> Eric. <laughs> yes. That's all for this week. Mm-hmm. What do you have coming up? Well, I have a lot of things coming up. Uh, as usual, yes. Readers. As usual, as mentioned, I have been very, very busy these past couple of weeks, but has been uh, awesome. But to get back to Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, yes, I covered the Los Angeles press junket for that uh, early, uh, in, over the weekend, I should say. That's how time jaded I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got to sit down with Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Hannah John Kamen, and Michael Douglas, and Peyton Reed. So be sure to check out all those interviews. Uh, I am tomorrow talking with a Quiet Place producer, Andrew Form, for the home video release of that. Uh, the new Netflix movie, Legacy of a White-Tailed Deer Hunter, which is the new movie from director Jody Hill, starring Josh Brolin and Danny McBride. Uh, I recently got to talk to him, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, I got to do a phoner with uh, the director, writer-director of Sorry to Bother You, Boots Riley, uh, who is has some great stories to tell about the making of that extremely strange film, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, I had a very extended sit-down. This is a long list, by the way. I, I've been very, very busy. Uh, I, I got to sit down uh, for a nice extended interview with uh, the creator of the new st- show, Yellowstone, uh, and the writer of Sicario, Day of the Soldado, uh, and the director of movies like uh, Wind Man. River, and the writer of Hell or High Water, Taylor yeah. Sheridan. I had a Those great are some good him. movies, by the way. Hell or High yeah, Water. Yeah, right? No, he, tell, he, 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 and he is uh, really interesting to talk to and uh, so like definitely I had some great stories from him uh I talked to uh Blockers director Kay Cannon uh which is that's easily one of my favorite comedies of the year of the of the year so far which is absolutely hilarious uh I hated the marketing for it but it just I was absolutely uh surprised by it and uh she has some amazing stuff that movie is coming out on Blu-ray very soon and as I mentioned earlier on the show uh I was when I was in Lake Tahoe I not only got to sit down with Drew Goddard but also uh The Bad Day at El Royale stars uh Jeff Bridges John Hamm and Dakota Johnson, who all had awesome things to say about the yeah. movie, which is easily one of my most anticipated in the second half of this year. Uh, so get ready for all of that. All of that's going to be coming to Cinema Blend. And uh, the most exciting thing that I am very excited to There's more? Right now, <laughs> yes, and this is and this is very specifically directly uh, t- t- attached to Hero Blend because uh, very soon you guys mm-hmm. will be treated to uh, my extended interview with director uh, Peyton Reed, Ooh. who I am going to be sitting down with uh, in a few hours from now, tomorrow, uh, after this broadcast or after the recording session and uh we are going to be getting into it talking all about ant-man and the wasp d- yeah. going deep into spoilers talking about uh the earliest beginnings the versions of this movie that we didn't get to see to the various different elements uh the very very funny sequences that we see and also the big surprises at the end and uh it's going to mm-hmm. be a really great chat and uh i'm excited to have it uh featured up on this uh podcast oh my goodness eric yeah <laughs> Do you ever slow down? (laughs) No, I I, I get like four hours of sleep a night. It's wonderful. (laughs) 
Well, I've been doing stuff too, but it's all going to sound really boring compared to all that. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some new guides on the site for you guys. Spawn and Top Top Gun 2 are ready to go. So you can check those out. And we've also got a Jurassic World 3 guide coming up later this week. So be on the lookout for that. If any of you like the Star's drama, Outlander, I wrote a feature titled Five Reasons Why Outlander is the Best Show on TV. And you can check that out right now. Um, that's it for us, guys. Be sure to subscribe to Hero Blend on iTunes. Make sure to drop us a review. Tell Eric how much you love him. He needs that validation, people. I, oh, he re- I really do. I really do. <laughs> I really, really do. I get four um, as, hours a night. I get four hours a night of sleep. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I need, I need to know it's worth something, people. Yeah. <laughs> Be sure to tune in to Hero Blend live every week on Cinema Blend's Facebook page. That's Thursdays at one p.m. Pacific and four p.m. Eastern. That's it. As always, thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next week.